0: Welcome to the first edition of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. I am your host, Michael Colligan, and my inaugural guest is Jason Bader, president of the distribution team. Jason is a subject matter expert in the field of wholesale distribution, and he is a consultant to companies in that field. When I first met Jason, he was all about inventory management, but he has since expanded that into generally helping distribution companies manage their businesses more profitably. Visit distributionteam.com for more information on Jason and how we might be able to help your business. But today, I'm going to chat with Jason about the changing nature of inventory management for lighting distributors. Solid state lighting, that's LEDs, are changing the game and we're going to spend some time chatting about it. So without further ado, I give you Jason Bader. Hello Jason. Hey there, how's it going? Fantastic. Welcome to the first edition of the Lighting Specialist podcast. Nice.
1: Congratulations for launching it.
0: Thank you. Have you ever done a podcast
1: before? I have done podcasts, uh, not quite to this uh, quality, so I'm looking forward to it. Nice. So Jason, you've had a lot of experience over the years
0: uh, consulting for distributors. You also worked in a family business that was a distribution business. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Yeah, I grew up in my family uh, construction supply business, so I've been around uh, contractors, and my family uh, was focused on working with uh, subcontractors, so electrical, mechanical, HVAC, data—you know—all of those types of folks. Um, they are—it's a con- it's a continuing entity. Uh, my younger brother is the president of that company, but I started working there, you know, like most uh, family uh, business individuals, at the uh, the ripe uh, legal age of thirteen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, learned how to drive a forklift long before I, uh, could drive a car. And so I grew up in the business. So I, I, really saw these companies, um, and again, more privately held companies. That's really where I focus, uh, from soup to nuts. And so I've done every job inside of a distribution company. And so 13 years ago, I decided to go out on my own and, you know, teach and consult and speak in public and that type of thing. Basically just share the stuff that was given to me at a young age and, uh, Frankly, the people I work with today, uh, they teach me as much as I teach them.
0: Tell me a little bit about your experience at the STAFDA. What is what is that association, and what did you do there?
1: Yeah, that's the STAFTA. Staffta is the Specialty Tool and Fastener Distributor Association. And so um, I was given, in 2003, I was given the honor of being that uh, the youngest president in that. And I was on the board of directors. I was invited to be on the board. And then ultimately kind of ascended through the ranks of uh, being president and you know like any other trade association president um, it's you know not a tremendously demanding job Uh, you go (laughs) around and you uh, but you do have the opportunity to go around and you meet a lot of the members um, in you know the United States and Canada both and so I traveled around quite a bit I got a chance to speak to a lot of these folks that I'd seen at conventions but on a, a much smaller level they they were small regional meetings and that really actually developed my um uh, my desire to want to continue going around and speaking to groups and learning about their companies and businesses so that was really where that um uh where the uh, trade association presidency really is what launched my career into the speaking consulting realm
0: he gave you open a door for you
1: it did. It really did. It, it really showed me what I want to do for the rest of my career rather than actually, I mean, don't get me wrong. Working in distribution is wonderful, challenging and all of that. But I felt, I felt that my, you know, my value was more teaching and helping people see things just a little bit differently in their companies.
0: So I, I'm going to say that we met, gosh, I'm going to say 2008, maybe seven.
1: That's about right. Sure. And you were still, you were ripping up $20 bills. I, I, you know, and I still try to do that because I I certainly can't rip up, uh, you know, loonies and toonies. So, uh, (laughs) you know, so yeah, I have to (laughs) rip up larger denominations, especially, you know, with yours. But I still do that. Um, I still, yeah, break a few uh, laws. (laughs) You're doing that, but uh, trying to teach that point about, um, you know, driving people down to net profit. Where, you know, we sell something for a buck, and what ultimately is left at the bottom line. So that's really where I try to help people get their head around that so they can ultimately you know increase that net profit you know, in these distributorships, I don't think you should, uh, you know, live with what you're living with today.
0: So, but let, let me ask you though, yeah. on, on that point. So you've been consulting for 13, 14 years yeah. and you've gone from sort of an, a, an expert in inventory management. And then when I was reading your biography, it said you kind of stepped back from it and said, you know, we can fix the inventory, but if we don't fix the order management and the workflow and the other things that, it's only going to have a marginal effect and and i think in your words you've called your new business more of a holistic advisory for distributors is it do i have it right
1: absolutely yes uh, and i i came to that harsh realization when yes i can change some of the inventory and the purchasing practices in a company but if the sales teams and the operational management and frankly the ownership is not on board with the direction that we're going from that aspect it limited results. So, from a holistic standpoint, I really I will coach and I'll look at all of the elements and make sure that the sales side is not you know thwarting the efforts of what we're trying to do in the purchasing and inventory management side. And conversely, the purchasing you know people understand what the sales side need is as well. And I think a lot of that comes from that organizational structure. So I tend to look at a company, you know, how it functions as a whole today I want to talk to you about inventory.
0: Great. I think a lot of lighting guys, maybe they're smarter than me. I don't know. And they're already on this, but I think a lot of lighting people are in for a big surprise. And I'll tell you why we routinely sell light bulbs in our warehouse that are 20, 30 years old. We have a box of this and a box of that and some old light bulb that, you know, every now and then every six months, someone orders two or three of them, or someone walks in on the order desk and buys it from us or whatever. And we make good margins on those. Lighting is going from from durable goods wholesale and is migrating over to electronics. Where I look at my stock and it can half in value in six months. Jason, have you ever seen something like this in an industry happen before, where there's such a radical change just to the inventory management?
1: Well, again, I think you hit it right on the head. That's it's really more that electronics model. Um, you yeah, know, if you look at things like semiconductors, uh, you know, you've got every 18 months the Moore's law. You know, saying that it's going to be half as much and twice as powerful you know this this chip and so looking at the you know the LED progress um, it, it is rapidly changing and I, I remember the first time I was really exposed to LED and it was actually at a nail convention you know that I was exposed to some of the the, the interesting things that were being done at the time and oh and those those bulbs were wildly expensive I mean wildly expensive and I, I know that all of you were taking a very uh a really toe-in-the-water type of approach looking at this um trying to see where is it going to be now today you know it is a you know it's an entrenched concern at this point you know led it's here it's it's right right in your face but as you said the the cost because of the efficiencies uh in in manufacturing the costs keep going down and down and down and so it, it is a tremendous challenge for you all to really it's it's more about reshaping your thinking it's a different mindset it's got to be a different mindset because I'll tell you when I first met a lot of you in your industry um, you had folks that loved to buy things overseas and hang on to them or maybe buy things that uh, were obsolete in other uh, distributors you know there was a little bit of the hoarding mentality that I saw or that you know not that that was wrong because at a time they could do that And they would buy things for, you know, maybe, you know, 50 cents on the dollar or 30 cents on the dollar and then maybe hold on to it a bit and find a market for it at, you know, full market value and really achieve wonderful profitability. That was fantastic several years ago when you and I met, but I don't think that's the current paradigm. Is it
0: a software issue? Is it a uh, frequency of doing your inventory issue or is it just a concept you have to get in your head first? That as soon as you buy these bulbs, they begin to reduce in value.
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. Here, here's really where I would say that you have to change your mentality is that you can't paint all the inventory in your warehouse today with the same brush. Some of your products that you sell are going to kind of remain in that same um, oh, kind of steady eddy, They're not going to diminish in value rapidly. They're, you know, it's a fairly predictable model there from a cost standpoint. So that, that's all well and good. That is a segment of your business. Now, if you are more bulb centered, if you will, then that percentage of your business, whether that's, you know, a, a huge percentage or small, that is going to have to be a, a different mentality. So you're going to have to adopt uh, different philosophies for different, uh, you know, different opportunities out there. After they've got that concept in their head, where do they start? You know, with software, I I think a lot of people don't understand that really your purchasing methodology and your inventory management methodology can vary by each particular SKU. And I think, again, this is where people have not gone in and really explored the options inside what they currently own. Um, I I would suspect many of you, um, and I've seen many of the software packages that you all run um, in uh, the nailed world, and uh, I would say a vast majority of them, if not all of them, have that capability of changing methodology based on SKU. And maybe to make it just a little more uh, macro, you would say I would change my philosophy or my methodology based on category. And I think that's how we would separate it out. And so what I would do is explore how a a different uh, methodology such as a – I don't want to say a min-max because I want to remain dynamic in that nature. But, for example, I would not – look at putting a whole lot of safety stock on items that I know that are going to you know, be diminishing in value. I think we got to be very, very careful about that, even though traditionally we would say I want safety stock on these really high hit items, the things that are, are very important in the eyes of our customers. But I would be cautious as to investing a lot of uh, mon- dollars into those items that I know are going to reduce in value. Hmm. So I think your safety stock model has to you know, diminish considerably. Where I came from from the inventory management perspective was the old Gordon Graham methodology. the Godfather. Yes. Yeah, the Godfather of inventory management. Now see, in Gordon's world, that really wasn't the case. I mean, and so when he built his model of item classification, where you spun your uh, high cost of goods sold items really quickly, and the, the low cost of good items, that those items you could buy 12 months supply at a time and just sit on them. Well, I, I think that's kind of a terrifying model when you have this rapidly diminishing cost associated with it.
0: Most lighting distributors, they're in that paradigm, they're in that model right now. This podcast to the Nailed members is to say, if you haven't already started thinking about this, you need to accelerate that thinking a little bit. And there's a whole other factor here, Jason, I haven't even brought up. I'm just going to jump right into it because I think, I think yeah. I don't know if you can help us with it, but it's going to be, it's an interesting sort of sideline. Um, there's two governing bodies when it comes to the efficiency of, say, a light bulb or, or any piece of electronics, really. One's called Energy Star. I'm sure you've heard of Energy Star. I am, yeah, familiar with that. And the other is called DLC. It's a, it's called Design Lights Consortium is what it stands for. Have you heard of these two players?
1: I have. I have not heard of the second one. I've heard, you know, Energy Star. Yes.
0: But uh, no, I have not heard of the second one. So Energy Star is kind of like le- replacement light bulb LEDs where would, would, would apply. And DLC is kind of in the fluorescent tube replacement realm and fixtures. Okay. Right? Okay. So they kind of split up, but there's some crossover and I can't get my head all around it anyway. But the, the thing that's interesting to distributors is a lot of the utility rebate programs, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about. Sure rely on DLC or E-Star as as a requirement of the fixtures allowed in their rebate program. Sure. What I see is a real struggle for us is that stuff will literally roll off the E-Star list. It will say E-Star on the box still, but if it's not on that E-Star website, it immediately drops in value by about... I don't know, 60%. And it's the same thing with the DLC. Now, I know this is Ontario specific, but I spoke with Greg Eric in in Minneapolis and he says his utility gives gives non-E-Star and non-DLC products a very hard time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, various utility, I'm sure there's a conference where utilities get together and figure out how to make these programs. So they're probably doing a lot of the same thing. And I think a lot of distributors aren't aware of whether their products are E-Star or DLC and when
1: they're coming off those lists. I guess I want to know who makes that determination. Is it governing bodies or these regulating bodies or really accrediting bodies is what they sound more like? My initial reaction would be, all right, if a decision is going to be made to sunset a particular product from the accreditation.
0: Great way to put it, by the way.
1: Yeah, there's got to be a bleed down because there can't be just a hard cut.
0: No, if it drops off the list, it's off the list. Bam, done.
1: Right. I, but, but some no, somebody's got to make a designation. It's not like, today I'm going to drop this item.
0: Oh, it's not arbitrary. No, people know how yeah. long. But I think the issue for distributors, Jason, is that they're not being given that information sometimes. Lamp importer A may come along and say, hey, I got seventy five 41K T8 LEDs in stock. Well, that sounds like a great deal. Are the Energy Star? Yeah. Or are the DLC? Yeah, yeah. They're on the DLC list. And you buy them and two months later, they drop off. I think it's very important that you know that before you make your decisions I
1: guess. Absolutely. I'm a checklist guy. I think checklists are you know, the best ways to do things consistently and get things right. And if you don't have a new item or a new supplier checklist that you're going down when you're making this financial commitment, well, you're asking for a little bit of trouble. And part of that checklist I would I would say today should be is your product energy star or dlc today and will it be tomorrow? When will it not be? When and if it, it is dropping off, then I have the right to send that back to you. Yeah,
0: you get to hang on to it and you credit me back X amount of the price I paid for it or something.
1: I think that these folks have got to be notified of when something is going to be uh, you know, taken off the accreditation list. I, I, I mean, I think at least to me that's logical that the manufacturer of the item, there has to be a notification back. That accreditation body has to be notifying these folks that, hey, you're losing your accreditation on X.
0: Well, they probably already know it, but for, like we're here to help distributors. And what I'm saying for for our group for our members is that, you know, just in talking to you and thinking about this, I think you know my inventory needs to be restructured so that number one, I've categorized it by a cat, like in a group that I think depreciates at the same rate. So, for example, LED T8 tubes are a little bit different than say, you know, LED 60 watt A19 replacements. Those ones kind of hold on a little longer. And, sure. and, you know, so I make them into, you know, I don't know if it's four or 10 or whatever category, something manageable. And then on top of that, there has to be a, a something that says, whether it's DLC or energy star, and then also what the expiration
1: date of that energy star in DLC is. Again, if the, if the manufacturer can provide you that information, then yes, I don't think they want to provide it. I don't know. Maybe they do. Well, I think they, they, they want is, is really not relevant. It's you know, it's yeah, kind yeah. of going to be a requirement of getting a paycheck. You know, and so I think sometimes that as a, a distributor, we fail to understand our role as a customer that we have that option to write a check or not write a check. You know, we we vote with our wallets. So that part of our relationship that we start with a manufacturer has got to say, you must provide us this information. And if you fail to do so, then you know X is going to happen.
0: Yeah, sometimes we teach our suppliers. I, I think what you're saying is you teach your suppliers how to successfully do business with you. And one of those things is, hey, having my back on your products.
1: Well, absolutely. And I think that you, you're in this situation where you have products that are Again, we didn't deal with this 15, maybe 20 years ago, and and so they're also catching up on how they're going to handle this. But I'll be honest with you, a whole lot of uh, product going back to them and returns is going to bring them to the table. My question is, do you feel like you all have the leverage with these suppliers?
0: Yeah. You know what? I I feel like I have leverage with my top five where I could say, what we need to do is on your monthly price spreadsheet you send me that I import into my system. I need to have these two fields created and and, and have the information in there. And I think that's valuable for them, like for me to teach them that as well, because they'll, we'll all know, you know, um, what's happening with this product and whether it should be at a lower price or uh you know uh, can I move it out the door for you quickly? I think it I think it behooves everybody to kind of get their heads around this.
1: Absolutely. And I think all, I mean if if we could have a um you know a goal out of this is that this would become the norm. Uh this would be this kind of information of of the sense, uh, sunsetting of a product uh according to the accreditation accreditation standards is that um, that would be a standard bit of information. It should be on the box.
0: It should be on the yeah. label. Like, yeah. When like right expire? in your face.
1: Right in your face. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, I, I think from a logic standpoint, it's like, hey, you're giving me a product that is now can, can only be sold to now a fraction of the public that I was able to sell it to before.
0: That wasn't the case yesterday now. Right. Right. Not eight years ago. Or yesterday, it was different.
1: I mean, that's pretty drastic. It is drastic. It is drastic. And, you, you know, I think this is one of those times when you have a product that comes in and you've got to make short-term money on it and understand that you will be out of a product and into its, its uh, you know, uh, superseded product. Within a three-month, if not six-month period of time.
0: I think the best example with the, for people to get in their head was when a little bit earlier in the conversation, you brought up Moore's Law. It's almost yeah. like Moore's Law applies to LEDs. I, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. You know, it's almost like the same effect right now, especially in the last five or six years. I went over to China in 2014, and I knew what the street price of a, a decent factory in China was. And now there's guys walking into my warehouse and offering me that lower than that price even in Canadian dollars. The price has gone down forty percent, fifty percent. And sure. it's already landed here in Canada or you know, in LA or wherever you are. So that's drastic, man. I think that it's important for distributors to kind of think this through, maybe the whole industry. Maybe the president of Nail should write a letter to ESTAR and DLC saying, you know, our members think this
1: because. It's not clear enough when these products expire. I think that it's really just needs to be educated because, again, these uh, accreditation bodies—they got no clue how a distributor functions. I mean, they've got no no idea what um, holding inventory means and how a distributor buys. They don't know the bloodbaths they're creating. That's correct. So, so I don't think it's malicious. I think it's ignorant. But it's just misinformed. They just do not understand what the impact is on individual people who, who own and and run these companies they don't understand that so I, now whether they're going to care or not is debatable
0: well this is where i think the national association of innovative lighting distributors comes in this is where the president uh writes a letter to them and says you know we want to advise you that this is a major problem for your partners downstream and we don't know exactly what the resolution is, but we have, you know, 60, 70 signatures that are members have nailed on this pe- petition to you. And mm. uh, we actually picked up another two or 300 when we sent out an email blast that, uh, and they all clicked on the website. And these are people that sell light bulbs every day. So we think that you should change the policy or at the very least write the expiration date right on the box on the energy star sign. So it's clear the people who are trusting your brand for energy efficiency, and it's also for the people people that are buying these products and trying to sell them and sell them to the public we don't know either we could be selling someone something that's actually not energy star (laughs) when it's it's saying it is right right so i think yeah i think you're right about that i think it's time for them to have a labeling issue like where they bring it up or change something anyway and and on the other side i think distributors need to get a handle on it anyway
1: i I completely agree i I would love to see that happen sometimes you know if a, a a crafted letter to the um uh, to the accrediting body is not going to work as well. Sometimes you have to go to the next level where you involve uh, lobbying to your congressional people um, and ask them to start getting involved because you know this is not uh, you know small chump change. This is a big deal. When you all go and make a a purchase, let's say you do buy offshore and you buy a container of, of LED product, you know. You better f- be able to get out from under that or it's going to be co- you know, a significant cash impact on your company, which affects you know, people's livelihood and jobs, et cetera. So if you can't get the response you're looking for, you may have to take it to a more regulatory level.
0: Yeah, and I, again, I think I think the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors is in the best position to do that. You know, Absolutely. when you represent when you represent a group of people or a body of people, you bring a lot of credibility to the table, right? So if you're, you know, maybe, you, I don't know who the person would be, but, you know, you send a letter over to some clerk over at the, you know, uh, Department of Energy or, you know, mm-hmm. your local congressman or someone and just say, hey, you know what, this is a real issue for us. Yeah. Um, is there any, can we get any traction with... Um, with, uh, you know, people wherever, and then you get some guidance and they, they put a little pressure on them to make a change. I think, I, but I, I think it starts with association and pe- you know like-minded people in the same business, mm-hmm. you know, coming up, coming to an issue and saying, yeah, you know what, we are all coherent on this issue. We all agree, there's no argument. And we know what, we know that this is right. And, uh, our president is now, you know, uh, and I think that would give nailed huge credibility as well. If we were able to make a change like, or even, even it, even be the first ones to start the, the momentum is powerful. You know, um, if it ever got changed and, and, you know, you and I come on the podcast again, two years from now, we'll just look back and say, remember when we were the first ones to talk about that? Sure.
1: Absolutely. I, I think, I think we run out of steam here, Jason. How do you feel? fantastic man yeah yeah i think we, we, we tackled a pretty good size one here and uh you know if we could if i leave you all with anything i think going back to your software comment is that uh the members really need to understand how to segregate that inventory in their software packages and treat it just very differently you know treat it you know not as a long-term investment but short-term quick return get in get out
0: Yeah, it's like a hot potato.
1: That is, that is, and uh, you know, beautiful thing is you can just go and work with your software manufacturer, software supplier about that, and explain what you're trying to do. That's where those folks are supposed to come in and deal with that.
0: Yeah, they may if you if you're getting support, if you're paying a monthly support fee to your software provider, that's what it's for. (laughs) It is right there,
1: and a lot of your folks, um, the software that they run. Also, is being run by people in the electronics business, so I don't think this is a brand new thing for them.
0: Yeah, they've already been to the they've already been to the rodeo with this. That's what, right. It's just That's another it. item that has fast appreciation. That's it. That's right. That's
1: right. Yeah, and for I think sure. They can get you know, got to call on those folks. You pay them an exorbitant amount of money. Let's let's get them to do some things for you.
0: Yeah, do something mm-hmm. for me for once, other than me yeah, just sending right. you this check every month for you right. know, whatever support costs and user Help licenses you run my and everything else. A
1: little bit better. That's that's <laughs> what I'm really looking for. <laughs> yeah, seriously.
0: All right, man. Well, he, you know, man, it was really good talking to you. I, I'm going to leave you with one more thing. I don't know if it's going to. If it's gonna fly in the final edit, and yes, we do edit the podcast, everybody out there. So it's not one long beautiful trail like you think. But uh, I'd like to thank you. I don't know if you remember. A couple of years ago, I did a Movember.
1: I do remember that. In fact, I was telling the, the folks down in uh, Scottsdale uh, about that. Uh, you know, Corey and Corey and Scott. Corey and Scott. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I was mentioning that to him. Uh, yes, I do remember the the Movember. Do, do you remember that? Do you remember the note you wrote me? in that when you in the it's like a website oh, no, tell you me, tell me what i said I, I could probably look back at it first. <laughs>
0: so so i'm also follicular follicularly challenged like <laughs> yourself yeah. yes okay yes. so you wrote in your your note you're right you wrote from one bald guy to another great mustache
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah you so know there you go. As follically challenged individuals have to stick together so
0: there you go all right, man. Well, hey, thanks a lot, Jason, for coming on the show. Uh, I thank you all for listening, although this was pre recorded. So, f- with that, we'll give you that's the podcast. See you later. If you're looking for some help running your business, whether you're in the lighting business or any type of distribution, Jason's your guy. Uh, go to distributionteam.com and contact Jason. Uh, I don't think you'll be making a mistake there. Thanks, guys.